Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Lucia Chachulovic. I am an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich, and I will start off today's episode with an overview of what has happened in the markets. Now, looking back to yesterday, U.S. stocks finished marginally higher in an uneventful Thursday trading. This puts the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 index on track for a potential winning week, which would be the fifth straight positive week for the S&P 500. While this week has seen relatively muted moves on Wall Street, it comes on the heels of a solid rally since mid-June. U.S. Treasuries were firmer with the curve steepening and the U.S. dollar is trading around a one-month high this morning as traders weighed some mixed Federal Reserve policy signals on the likely pace of further interest rate hikes. Now, leaving the U.S. and taking a look at Asia-Pacific, markets there have been a mixed bag today. The Shanghai Composite was mostly flat, but the Shenzhen component fell around 0.5%. The Hang Seng Index was upbeat by 0.3%, as there was positive action from Tencent, up nearly 2%, and food delivery giant Meituan, positive by more than 1%. Japan's Nikkei 225 was flat, as the country's inflation for July came in at 2.6%, which is higher than June's 2.4%, the expected 2.2%, and the Bank of Japan's goal of 2%. New Zealand posted slightly higher exports in July at 6.7 billion New Zealand dollars, but imports also rose to around 7.8 billion New Zealand dollars. And in Australia, the S&P ASX 200 is flat today. Now, looking at Europe, the pan-European stock 600 was up 0.4% yesterday, having reversed earlier losses. Oil and gas and tech added 1.7 and 1.2% respectively, while retail stocks slid 1.5%. Investors in Europe were attuned on Thursday to July's final Eurozone inflation print, which confirmed that annual consumer price increases across the 19-member currency bloc hit a record high at 8.9%. Meanwhile, corporate earnings remain a key driver of individual share price movements in Europe. And in geopolitical news, China's Xi Jinping and Russia's Vladimir Putin reportedly plan to be at a Group of 20 summit in Bali later this year. That sets up a showdown with US President Joe Biden and others as Russia continues its war in Ukraine. Now, in commodities, Indonesia is making headlines. The country may impose a tax on nickel exports this year. Indonesia is the biggest producer of nickel and looks to refine more at home. The world's shift into electric vehicles has spurred a surge in demand for battery metals, including nickel, lithium and cobalt. Oil prices are trading flat this morning as investors weighed hopes for strong fuel demand after a larger-than-expected drawdown in U.S. crude stocks. Gold prices slipped to a three-week low earlier today and are heading for their first weekly decline in five as a stronger U.S. dollar and prospects of more rate hikes by the U.S. Fed dented the metal's appeal. In crypto, Bitcoin is trading around the 23,000 US dollar mark, and Ether is up 100% since its bottom in June and is currently trading at around 1,800 US dollar. 
So what can we expect for the day ahead? There is not a lot of economic data coming out today, so investors will likely take a look at the two trillion US dollar worth of options that expire later today and which could stir volatility in global markets. Now looking at the futures board, US futures are trading lower and European stocks are expected to open lower to flat this morning. That's all from me. I'd now like to hand over to Tim Gagey, head of FX and PM Solutions in Geneva, who is going to tell us more about what's happening in FX and metals markets. Please go ahead, Tim. Good morning. Thank you, Lucia. After a fairly quiet and even mildly encouraging start to the week, we seem to be finishing up with more of the same pain. Demand for the dollar really ramped up yesterday, on the back of nothing in particular that I could see, with Eurodollar now only 80 pips away from parity and cable down at 119. Even the yen, Swiss franc and metals were not immune to this sweep. And really, anyone who wasn't long dollars had a bad day yesterday. I wish I could pretend I had a good one. There were some hawkish, some somewhat hawkish com comments by various Fed members. But I do not hear anything new there. And this swinging about between 50 basis points and 70 basis points priced in for September's Fed meeting is really fiddling around at the margins as far as I am concerned. Whatever they don't do now, they will do later anyway or vice versa. So honestly... This latest round of dollar buying, to me, feels a bit overdone. Other central banks will also be forced to hike, as we've discussed before, the ECB and the Bank of England to name but two. They are both well behind the curve of even the Fed, not even talking about the curve of where they actually should be. So I think catch-up will be played. And despite the parlous state of the UK and Eurozone economies, I believe the currencies will react positively when more tightening comes. I see this latest move down to parity or close to parity in Eurodollar as a great opportunity I would favour taking exposure to the euro once again using a reverse convertible or an accumulator. This morning in the UK, we had quite a bit of data, most notably retail sales, as we've already heard. Not too bad, I suppose. Cable is super cheap down here. I know I keep saying it, but I believe it. And my approach to the euro holds the same for the pound. It might take some time, but I believe a point will come when today's levels will look like great value and a missed opportunity for those that did not act. Metals all took a, a hit yesterday as well. For me, this one makes more sense. Again, I know I keep saying it, but I do not get the appeal of gold in the current environment. Nobody has successfully explained to me how a zero-yielding asset that is not really liquid or divisible in a practical sense and is valued generally in US dollars is better protection against inflation than the dollar itself, which is no longer zero-yielding. If anyone wants to get in touch and talk me through it, I really am all ears. I mean that sincerely, but I cannot get my head around it. So I am still quite negative on gold and would not do anything before we see 1700 again at the earliest. If you're interested in metals exposure, I would, as usual, look at platinum. As I said before, I think this strong dollar provides an opportunity to take some exposure for those people that are long dollars, either cash or on the portfolio. We have plenty of ideas of what to do. Indeed, I put out a short note on the subject of how to take exposure to Eurodollar yesterday, and conditions would actually be even better today, so I'm happy to refresh if that is helpful. So with that thought, I wish you a happy Friday and a super weekend. Thanks for listening. Back to you, Lucia. Thank you very much, Tim. Finally, we have Sipo Ansen from Next Generation Research with his latest thoughts on digital assets. Over to you. Thank you, Lucia. And, you know, just an update on some of the key themes in the crypto markets this week from my side. You know, I think you mentioned it before in your markets wrap up that investors have become increasingly interested in the Ethereum token, with many drawn to the highly anticipated upcoming merge event that will, you know, essentially see the network transition away from the sort of energy intensive proof of work consensus mechanism 
to a proof-of-stake-based blockchain. Now, I've spoken in detail about the exact mechanics of this transition and the expected benefits in you know, previous editions of the podcast. But you know, another important factor to contextualize for investors is that you know, when assessing different blockchain consensus mechanisms, the blockchain trilemma, as it's called, dictates that all networks need to make some sort of a trade-off between scalability, security, and decentralization. Now, typically, proof-of-work-based blockchains have strong decentralization and security characteristics, while often not being highly scalable for developers of decentralized applications to build on. Now, contrarily, you know, proof-of-stake-based networks typically have much higher transaction throughput capacity and thus greater scalability, which you know, makes them much more appealing to decentralized application developers, while you know, typically this great scalability comes at the expense of security and decentralization. Now, you know, with that context in mind, a recent analysis conducted by a leading blockchain data provider has raised some serious questions about the actual level of decentralization of infrastructure networks, in particular the Ethereum network. Now, you know, what did the analysis actually reveal? So, you know, the data provider revealed that the most popular network for developers, which is Ethereum, may in fact be much more centralized than previously estimated. Now, almost 70% of all validator nodes on the network are located in centralized data centers owned by leading cloud providers. This is a claim made by the data provider. Now, in the context of Ethereum now transitioning to a proof of stake consensus mechanism, which you know, is undoubtedly likely to result in you know, some degree of increased centralization, this recent study raises you know, further question marks about the ability of you know, centralized cloud providers to impact the Ethereum network in the future. So, you know, many might ask, what about other networks? Do they fare any better? So, you know, Solana, another emerging sort of infrastructure network that, you know, has become increasingly popular with developers of decentralized apps, has been cited in the research as well as, you know, having an even greater centralization vulnerability with roughly 95% of all nodes being hosted on centralized cloud-based data centers. Now, you know, given that Solana has been using proof of stake since conception, this analysis raises several concerns that, you know, the Ethereum network is, first of all, already more centralized than previously estimated and could become even more centralized post-emerge if you use a if you use Solana as a sort of um, proxy for how proof of stake based blockchains um, are centralized. Now, you know, ultimately we think that, you know, heightened expectations towards the ETH token going into the merge, um, as reflected, as you mentioned before, by the recent sort of rapid rebound of prices, um, coupled with the centralization risks mentioned above, you know, we think that leaves significant room for disappointment if the touted benefits of, you know, increased scalability and lower fees cannot be achieved. That's all from my side. Happy Friday, and I hand back to you, Lucia. Thanks a lot, Sipo. And with that, we conclude today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to our speakers, and thank you all for tuning in. We wish you all a great day ahead and hope that you'll join us again soon. Goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.